0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles with us tonight, if you will, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus is um, in the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of John. Uh, It's uh, John's account, eyewitness account of Jesus last night before he was betrayed. Um, What happened at the Last Supper and so forth. Jesus made some uh, outstanding statements in those three or four chapters regarding the... um, the day of the church age, what would take place after his resurrection. He gives us a lot of information about the Holy Ghost and the, the work of the Spirit of God. But in John chapter 15, verse 7, notice Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, obviously, he's talking about prayer. But he, I think we could uh, would be safe in saying that he's going beyond just talking about prayer. and He's talking about man's authority here on the earth. Notice he said that it's based on relationship. This is not something that he preached to the multitude. This is something he's telling his disciples on their last time together before he goes to the cross. And he said, if you abide in me, will you abide in Christ by making him the Lord of your life? We know that. That's how you're born again. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, I want you to notice those are two different things. Abiding in him would be the church world at large. Anybody that's made Jesus the Lord of their lives. But having the word abide in you. That's a different thing entirely. And notice he didn't just say if you abide in me you'll ask what you will. I think that's the way that a lot of the church world seems to think that it is or wants it to be at least. He didn't just say if you abide in me. He said if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Then you'll ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now notice verse 8. He said herein is my father glorified. Herein is my Father glorified. What glorifies God? Jesus is saying us getting the answers to our prayers. Something that glorifies God. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Folks God wants you to have answers to your prayer. More than you want your prayers to be answered. Let me say that again. God wants you to get answers to your prayers. More than you want your own prayers to be answered. He said, this is what will glorify me, is for you to get answers to your prayers. Now, notice again the conditions that he makes, and they're pretty simple. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. Now, sometimes when people look at that and are hear teaching along this line, they say, well, what if I'm not asking for, what if somebody doesn't ask for the will of God to be done? Well, if his word abides in you, then you're going to be asking according to his will, aren't you? Because God's word is his will. And notice this is not a blanket statement to push off on anybody else. He doesn't say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you will for the other guy and it'll be done. I think a lot of times people get things mixed up and think that faith is something that works on somebody else. When Jesus talked about your faith working for you and the things that you desire, the things that you will in the earth. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. Folks, the most important foundation principle for getting answers to your prayers is to pray the word. If you're not praying the word of God, you have no assurance, absolute no assurance that what you're praying for will come to pass. The first thing you need to do before you ever pray is find out what the word says about your situation that's how you know that the word's abiding in you now I want you to look with me to another um, scripture in uh, Isaiah chapter 43 this is not just a New Testament concept this is the way that God set things up from the beginning notice in Isaiah 43 verse 26 well let's back up to verse 25 God speaking first person he said I even I am he, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins well, that's a, uh, a part and a function of abiding in him, isn't it? That's the new birth. That's the place where God removes your sins from you. And that happens through Jesus and through his sacrifice. So here's an Old Testament reference. Looking forward to the day when our sins would be blotted out by the blood of Jesus. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions and will not remember thy... Or for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Notice the next thing that he says... In conjunction with the new birth. That is to come through Jesus. Verse 26 he said. Put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. The word plead is uh, translated in many other translations. The word argue. It's talking about setting forth a case. Now notice God is not saying. I need you to talk me into what you want. But instead, he's showing us that the, that the source of power that answers prayer is the Word. He's saying, Remind me what I said. Now, do you think God's doing that because he's, he's been in heaven for a long time and he's getting old and his memory's failing? God doesn't need to be reminded of what he said for his sake. But it's an important thing, must be an important thing because he said so. It must be an important thing for us to identify that we know what he said. Put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. You know that prayer doesn't put you at odds with God. It puts you on his side. Praying the word puts you on God's side. So he's saying let us plead together. He's talking about working together. How do we do that? By reminding him of what his word says. By reminding him of what his word says. One of the first things that you need to do is find, once you decide what you want from God, specifically, then identify what does the word of God say about my situation. And you can find a scripture that will cover you no matter what situation you're in or what the circumstances are. You may not find something directly. Certain things are identified like healing and blessing, financial blessing and so forth. There are scriptures that speak specifically in detail directly to those. But there are other times where you can find scriptures that identify God's character and his nature. So you can always find a promise, either specifically a direct promise or an indirect promise that will cover your situation. And God said, put me in remembrance. I would recommend something to you. And that is, whenever you're going to prayer for something pertaining to you, always take the word to prayer with you. Now let's look at how some of this works. Look with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's look at some Old Testament examples and then we'll look at some New Testament examples as well. I'm going to start in verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Amorites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria, and behold, they be in some place which is in Gedai. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said... So this picks up his prayer. Notice how Jehoshaphat prayed when Israel was in trouble. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might... So that none is able to withstand thee, art not thou our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of thy Abraham thy friend forever, and they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us as the, with the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction. Then thou wilt hear and help, and now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, this is a reference back to when the temple, Solomon dedicated the temple. And one of the things that he dedicated and said before God as a result of God saying to him, they repeated it back to the people, that whenever they were in trouble, if they came to the temple and cried upon God, asked for his help, God would see and hear and help them. Notice how Jehoshaphat reminds God that was the case. Lord, is this not the temple that you said if we'd cry unto you that you'd help us? He's putting, them, putting God in remembrance of his word. That's how he started his prayer. Somebody once said, I've heard it repeated numerous times over the years, and I don't know who to credit it to, but somebody said the most effective kind of praying is argumentative praying. Now that can paint the wrong picture for some people, I guess. It's not that you're arguing with God to try to get him To do something that he doesn't want to do. But argumentative praying. Is this kind of prayer. Where you set before God. That which he has spoken. You remind him. You put him in remembrance. So that you can take advantage of. And access the promises that were made before. Jehoshaphat is pleading. Not with God. Or against God. But he puts himself on God's side. By saying now Lord didn't you say this. Notice how Jehoshaphat put all the responsibility on God to honor his word. That's what I love about this prayer. He says, aren't you still God in heaven? Don't you still have power to do something about these enemies that are coming against us? Didn't you say that if we came to you in front of this temple, that you'd hear us and help us? Didn't you say that, Lord? When I look what they're doing. They've come to cast us out of your possession. I like the fact that they call it God's possession, not theirs. How is it God's possession? Well, God said the land that he was providing for them was a gift from himself. He gave them the promised land. So they recognize that it's not just their possession, but it's his. Everything that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection is God's possession, not just yours and mine. When the devil tries to steal something that Jesus provided for us, he's not just stealing from us. He's invading God's possession territory. And that's exactly what they said in this. Now, this kind of praying works. The spirit of the Lord came on one of the prophets and gave him the answer. You remember the story how he said tomorrow go out against them. The battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. But he told them where they were. Next morning comes around, Jehoshaphat puts singers and praisers out in front of the army to sing and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the enemy. And they began to kill each other. All these different tribes and armies began fighting one another. By the time Jehoshaphat and Israel's armies came upon them, everybody was dead, all their enemies were dead, and it took them three days to carry away the stuff. Not only was their deliverance provided for them, but great reward as well. Now, isn't it interesting that God didn't respond to Jehoshaphat's prayer by the spirit of the Lord coming on the prophet, Jehaziel, as he's identified. And say, who in the world do you people think you are talking to me like that? No, God likes it when you speak his word to him. It shows respect and reverence and honor for his word. It shows that we believe what he said, and we're standing on it, looking for his help. Now there are a number of New Testament examples for this as well. Turn with me to Acts chapter four. Let me show you another example of this. This is after Peter and John have gone to the beautiful temple, gone through the beautiful gate of the temple, healed the crippled man that was there. Everybody come running together and thousands of people got saved as a result of Peter telling them what happened. They get called on the carpet by the religious leaders, the Jews and uh, high priests in office and so forth. And then they were threatened and, and uh, commanded not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Let's pick up the story in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said... Now, I want you to notice, first thing I want you to see about this, nobody's leading them in prayer. Peter and John come to where the crowd, their group is. Tell everything that the high priests have said. Tell it, recount the story of what happened to them over the last day or so. Tell them how they were threatened by the high priest, not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And then it said they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Now, I don't know how they did that. It's not like somebody led in prayer. It wasn't Peter praying and everybody else just agreeing with him. God heard this prayer from them, which indicates to me that in most probability, they're praying in the spirit, at least some of this. And this is the Holy Ghost account of what God heard from heaven. Here's their prayer. They said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. They start off a lot like Jehoshaphat did and said, aren't you still God in heaven? And don't you still have power over the nations, the heathen nations of the world? It's always a good idea to start your prayer talking about how big God is. Too many times people get to the time of prayer and they're talking about their problems so much that the problem seems bigger to them than God does. Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David, they're quoting the scripture, They're taking the word to prayer with them. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus. Whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles. And the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now they're not quoting scripture. But they're quoting God's plan. They're recounting God's plan as identified in the Scripture that they've lived out over the last several months concerning the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 29, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. They didn't start off with the problem. They started off with how big God was and what his word says. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. How is it that they're asking for boldness? Why would that come to their mind to speak to God about? What we need in this situation is boldness. The high priest is threatening to harm us if we preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. So what we need is boldness. Because they're reminding God that Jesus sent him into all the world to preach the gospel. Jesus' command to the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and these signs shall follow them that believe in me, to believe in my name, Jesus said. That hasn't been altered by the threats of the high priest. So they're asking for something that God has already directed them for or toward or to do. They're just asking for help, supernatural help, to do what they know Jesus has already commanded them to do. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. God gave them exactly what they asked for. But notice how they took the word to to prayer with them they're not praying lord and we don't know what your will is we're under threat by the high priests the same ones who crucified jesus now are after us what do you want us to do do you want us to back up on what we've been doing try to get along with everybody they know that's not the thing to do because of what jesus has already said let's look at another example look with me over to acts chapter 16 Acts chapter 16 tells us the story of Paul and Silas. How that they were trying to identify where God wanted them to go, what cities he wanted them to go. And remember, he came to a certain place and he wanted to go into Asia, and the Holy Ghost forbade them to go. We don't know exactly how that is, but there was some means of communication, supernatural communication. So that Paul and Silas knew that that they weren't to go into Asia. Then they tried to go into Bithynia. But then the Holy Ghost stopped them from going that way too. And then in the night they had a vision. Paul had a vision. And he saw a man from Macedonia. Philippi is the chief city of Macedonia. And that's where they are. He's in the city of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. And they saw in the vision a man from Macedonia saying, Come over here and help us. So they go to Philippi. And they find... They start doing ministry work, trying to get people saved and so forth. We'll pick up the story in verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination. She was a fortune teller. Met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. I don't know how many he is, but there's more than a few, I guess. But this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. That phrase, Paul being grieved, must be the Holy Ghost moving on him to do something about it. But it wasn't the first day that it happened. It wasn't the second day it happened. It was, it was after many days. might be interesting to note that Paul didn't try to do anything about this until he had the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to handle it. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, she's no longer a fortune teller when the devil went out of her, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Verse 25, And at midnight, I believe this is literally midnight, but it could be a representative or a symbol of your darkest hour. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what they prayed. But if you were in prison, what would you have prayed? You think they sat down there with their backs bleeding, their feet in stocks and uh, in hard conditions and very uncomfortable circumstances and said, Oh, thank you, Lord. You sent us to Philippine. We cast the devil out of the little girl. And now we're in jail for your glory. No need to get us out of here, Lord. We know that this is why you sent us. That's not why he sent them to that city. He sent them to that city to get people saved. To tell them about Jesus. Well, they're not going to be able to do that from inside the prison, are they? Now, is there any indication that Paul and Silas had a even an inkling? That that's where God wanted them to be? They knew why they were sent there. Paul saw the vision of the man in Macedonia... It's an interesting thing to me that we never find out if Paul ever saw the guy that he saw in the vision. He goes to Philippi because a man appears to him in a vision. When he gets to Philippi, he finds women at the washing place down by the river. Starts getting some of them saved. Apparently, the, the vision was just to get Paul going in the right direction. Not because of somebody specific that was there. But this says at midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God. Folks, I can only speak for myself in this, but if it was me that was in prison, I'd be praying to get out of there. I'd be saying, Lord, this is not why we're supposed to be here. And the fact that it says they prayed and sang praises indicates to me that they're praying in faith, believing for an answer that they don't yet see. They've got something to sing about. They're certainly not singing, It's So Good to Be Beaten. It's so good to be in jail. We just love these newfangled stocks that they've got on our hands and our feet. What a privilege it is to be here, Lord. Now, they know that God wants them out. He knows that they know that he sent him to the city to be free to preach the gospel. So they prayed and sang praises unto God. Now, folks, whether it's the written word or something that they knew from the visions they had, When they saw the man from Macedonia saying come over here and help us. They have to be reminding God of why he sent them. They've got to be bringing to God's remembrance. Something that they know. That would deliver them. That would set them free and put them back on the track to tell people about Jesus. Otherwise what are they singing praises for? see i see them praying the word maybe not the written word but certainly something that god spoke to them about what their job was in that city they're putting god in remembrance of why he sent them and suddenly there was an earthquake great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed And the keeper of the prisoner, waking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Notice nobody moves a peg. I like to think in these terms concerning not only Paul and Silas, but all the other prisoners that were there. We don't know how many others were in jail, but it would stand a reason to be somebody else down there at least and nobody moves now you know as well as i do that if it was an earthquake that opened prison doors of any prison prisoners would be running as fast as they could to get away from there and get loose to be free wouldn't that stand a reason but nobody moves why not i believe that from the prayers and the praises that they heard in the prison they recognize that this earthquake that now has opened everybody's prison doors and everybody's shackles have fallen off of them and caused everybody to be loosed. They all know that it's associated with the prayers and the, the songs, the prayers that they prayed and the songs that they sang. Or else why are well, they still there? There had to be a connection. So Paul says, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Paul didn't try to run away. See, when you know God's on your side and he'll deliver you no matter where you are, you don't have to run away. You don't have to try to escape difficult circumstances when you know you've got God on your side. And clearly they knew that. Clearly. So he winds up being ministered to by the keeper of the prison. He gets him saved, gets his whole household saved. Then the next day they were set free. There's something about this story that that particularly appeals to me because the prayers didn't automatically change the circumstances. The prayers and the songs that they sang and the display of God's power to liberate them shows me that even in difficult circumstances, even in uncomfortable situations, God doesn't want you bound by the devil's power. See, Paul and Silas aren't running away from jail. They just refuse to be under the devil's power while they're there. Can you see that? Look at another one over in James chapter 5. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I think this is the fourth witness that we've looked at. Notice beginning in James 5, 13, it says, is any among you afflicted going through a test or a trial or a hard place? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Notice the answer for trouble Affliction, difficulty, hard places in life is to pray. Why? Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask what you will. That's exactly what Paul and Silas did in prison in Acts 16. That's exactly what the disciples did in Acts chapter 4. They're asking for what they will and they got the answer that they wanted. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. In each situation, we see at least the principle, if not the specific information revealed to us about them taking the word to prayer or taking the nature and the character and the nature of God to prayer to use it to their benefit. Now, James is saying, do the same thing. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now notice the phrase, the prayer of faith. The word prayer there is literally the word vow or declare. It's not asking God for something. It's making a vow. It's making a declaration of something. And notice the result, it says, the prayer, the vow, the declaration of faith shall heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Well, faith begins where the will of God is known, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So without the word, you don't have any basis for faith. And wherever there is faith, there has to be, of necessity, a foundation from the word of God, which is his will in order for faith to be present, in order for faith to be exercised. So when it says the vow of faith, the declaration of faith shall heal the sick, that necessitates a knowledge and application of the word of God concerning healing. So this vow or declaration of faith, whereas it's not asking God specifically to do something, it's certainly an acknowledgement of something that's already been done through the work of Jesus. Regarding healing for the physical body. The vow or declaration of faith. Shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And the translators translated that as prayer. Well I don't believe they were wrong. See the vow or the declaration of faith. Is a means of prayer. It is a matter of prayer. Prayer is just communicating with God. Prayer is not necessarily asking for something. It's approaching God. Based on your relationship with him him through Jesus Christ the blood of Jesus that was shed for us an action that takes hold spiritual action that takes hold of something that Jesus has already accomplished well how do we know what he accomplished the only way we know any of that is through the word the vow of the declaration of faith shall heal the sick here's another means or another method of taking the word to prayer with you you're reminding God of what Jesus has already done You're taking hold of it by faith. Let's keep reading. The prayer of faith, the vow of faith shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. God's not looking for a way to keep you out of the blessings of God. He's looking for a way for you to get them, to get into them. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Isn't it interesting how the Bible identifies or connects that statement, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, connects that to receiving from God based on a vow or declaration of faith. Where it says confess your faults one to another, it doesn't mean go to a priest or go to some pastor or somebody like that and tell them what a lousy person you've been. That's not what confess your faults means. It means don't let anything break your love walk with anybody. If there's any unforgiveness, if there's anything that you're holding against somebody, go clear it up. Because faith works by love. Unforgiveness is the one thing Jesus told us in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, that hinders the prayer of faith from working. So that's all this is saying. Don't let unforgiveness, don't let hard feelings get between you and somebody else and keep your faith from working. Because the effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word effectual, in my thinking, should be more accurately translated the effective. Fervent prayer. Fervent means from the heart. Heartfelt. But notice that James, by the Spirit of God, is telling us that prayer needs to be effective for it to be successful. Well, if the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, then the ineffective fervent prayer, or the ineffective prayer, whether it's fervent or not, would not work. If something can be effective, then it can be ineffective. Right? Well, what makes prayer effective? The number one thing is taking the word of prayer with you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. He's talking about prayer fruit. He's talking about receiving from God fruit. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. God wants every one of your prayers, every prayer that you ever pray from this moment forward to be effective and to get answers. He wants your prayers answered more than you want your prayers answered. And he's given us the name of Jesus to bring that about. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, after he was raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples and he says, all power, that word power is literally the word authority, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Then he sends the disciples to go forth. Now when he sends the disciples to go forth, go and preach the gospel unto all nations, he's telling them very simply this, use my authority on the earth because you're here and I'm not. When Jesus regained all authority in heaven and earth. That means two things. That means he regained what he had in heaven before he ever came to the earth. And it also means that he regained Adam's place of authority with God. Through his sacrifice and his resurrection. But there's something that's interesting about this. And I know this sounds. Controversial to some. Sacrilegious maybe even to some. But the fact is. The only ones that have authority on the earth. The ones that God originally gave authority on the earth. Two on the earth. Was man. The Bible says that Jesus had authority here on the earth. During his three year ministry. Before he went to the cross. Because he was the son of man. Not the son of God. In other words it's your physical body. That gives you authority on the earth. Jesus does not have an earthly body anymore. He's not here on the earth anymore. So if Jesus' authority on the earth is going to be used, if it's going to be exercised, if it's going to be effective, it's got to be affected by people that have flesh and bone bodies like you and me. That's why he said, whatever you call for requiring my name, I'll do it. Because the authority is in the name of Jesus. We've made the statement here a lot lately talking about righteousness and preaching on righteousness about jesus was the firstborn or the first begotten from the dead and that's certainly true that's what the bible says but i think sometimes we might leave the wrong impression by that we do not mean that he was the firstborn new man jesus was the new man that's why the bible talks so much about being in christ There's 67 or 68 times that the Bible talks about being in Christ, in Him, in whom, and so forth. The reason that the Bible makes such a point of that is because by the fact that we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus, by virtue of the fact that we are in Christ, that means we have access to all the authority that He regained. He is the new man. When it says put on the new man, you've already put on the new man in one sense. Because you're already in Christ. Most of the time when the Bible talks about putting on the new man, it's just simply saying, Live up to who you've been created to be. Live up to who you've been born again unto. But we've already put on the new man if we've put on Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the new man. He's the one that we follow the example of the new birth into. But He's the one that has authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth, he said. So you use it in the earth, I'll use it in heaven. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you, John 16, 23 says. And in that day, you'll ask me nothing. He doesn't tell us to pray to him. He says, because we're now in him, we can ask the Father just like he asked the Father while he was here. And God will answer us. Just like he answered him while he was here on the earth. Because we're in Christ. Because we've put on the new man. Because we've put on Christ. As the Bible says. So when he says all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. What authority would that be? Well one thing we noticed about Jesus was that he had an outstanding prayer life. He was able to stand before Lazarus' tomb and say, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and that you hear me always. I'm saying this for their benefit, the people that are listening's benefit, so that they know that your ears are always open to my prayer. Well, since we're in Christ, God's ears are open to your prayers just as much as they were Jesus when he was here. We don't have a parallel authority. We have the same authority. That Jesus regained here in the earth. He didn't regain it for himself. He regained it so that the work of the church could go forward through you and through me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Take the word to prayer with you. Don't go to prayer without the word, because the effectual. The effective, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man avails much. That means your earnest, your heartfelt, your effective means of praying avails much because you've been made righteous. The Amplified says it this way. The effective, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. There should never be one prayer that you pray for things concerning yourself that goes unanswered ever, and He's given us the word to ensure that it won't. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. we thank you for the privilege that we have to take your word to prayer with us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for the authority that we've been given in the earth. We thank you that your word identifies your will. And we thank you that just as Jehoshaphat said in the Old Testament, how he claimed the promise that when they were under attack or in trouble, they could stand before the temple and call upon you and expect your help. Now, Father, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Ghost. So wherever we are, we can call on you in the name of Jesus based on your word, reminding you of your promise, putting you in remembrance. And expect help and deliverance from every evil work. Thank you, Father. That through the name of Jesus, we can always expect an answer to our prayer. That through the power of the word, which you watch over to perform, we can know that every prayer is heard and answered. So we can be like Paul and Silas. Even if the circumstances of our individual lives Have got us in what looks to be an airtight prison. We can pray your word and sing praises unto you, knowing that we have the things that we've asked for. We thank you, Father, that in the name of Jesus we're free. We're free from sickness, we're free from disease, we're free from poverty, we're free from lack, we're free from depression, we're free from worry. Because he whom the Son has set free is free in every area. Thank you, Father, that we are free. So like Paul and Silas, we praise you. Even before the earthquake. Even before the shackles fall off. We give you praise even now. Knowing that we have the things that we've asked you for. Because we abide in him. In Jesus. And his word abides in us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see these things more and more. To grow so that our prayer life grows. So that we grow in confidence. In everything that we ask. Based upon your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Let's just lift our hands for a moment and thank him for his goodness. Thank him because those prayers you've prayed based upon his word have been heard. John said, if we ask anything according to his will, which is according to his word, then we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then we know that we have what we ask for. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it feels, He's heard us if we've asked Him according to His Word. And we have the answer. We thank you, Father, for the answers that we don't yet see. We thank you, Father, for the results that do not yet appear. We thank you for watching over your Word in our lives to perform it. We thank you, Father, that we have, according to our will, According to your word, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, hallelujah, amen. Well, let's all stand. Glory to God. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, the Bible says. That's an astounding thing. But it's certainly true that God wants you to have answers to your prayers more than you even want the answers. I don't know about you, but I want my answers pretty much. He wants it even more than we do. Amen? Say it with me. The Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.